Hello. Greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're glad for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work for the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. In Matthew chapter 16, when Peter had made the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus commended him in Matthew 16 and in verse 18, saying, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church, the ecclesia, the assembly, the people of God, therefore, were being described as a church. And thus Jesus would establish his church, and thus the church has been uh, since his death and resurrection. One of the matters of contention that has come about because of various practices involves the work of a local church. And it really gets to the heart of the question, what is a local church supposed to do as a local church. How would the members of a local church fit into that idea, especially in light of the fact that the church, as we have seen before, is people? <coughs> Excuse me. And how would we ascertain the guidelines for who is to do what? Well, in Christendom, there's all kinds of answers to these questions if the question is considered at all. And more often than not, the church as a corporate collective is engaged in all kinds of practices. And if when we're trying to ascertain the authority for such practices, it's often difficult to have that conversation. And so we need to spend some time from Scripture looking at exactly what the work of the church is. What is the church supposed to be doing as the church? Are there some underlying principles guiding what the church is supposed to be doing? And as we begin, it's important for us to lay out a groundwork for our discussion. In the church, there's really two party, so to speak. There is the individual Christian, and there is the corporate collective, we're calling it, the church as the church. Now, individual Christians are spoken of consistently in the scriptures, and there's a wide range of activities in which they're supposed to engage. But there are other times where there's the collective of Christians. So, for instance, in 1 Timothy 5, 1-16, uh, the church supporting widows, that's a collective uh, uh, activity. In 1 Corinthians 16, the church, all the individuals come together to lay by in store, but what is uh, collected is held together. Uh, same in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, in the New Testament, the church is simply the collective of people in Jesus Christ, either on a local or universal level. We've talked about the universal church as the body of the saves. We can see that in Ephesians 5, 25-33. It's the one body in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and so on and so forth. Uh, as a universal body, there's no organization beyond the Lord Jesus' head, uh, and it's founded upon the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Um we will all assemble one day before Jesus, but as of now, the Universal Church has members in various different places, many of whom are even uh, no longer with us among the living. And so within the pages of Scripture, we do not see any uh, particular specific work to be done by the whole Universal Church. But there is these local congregations of Christians that we read about throughout the New Testament, and to whom Paul uh, wrote many letters uh, from Romans through Second Thessalonians. So the church is comprised of people. And so people it's very easy for people to kind of make this conclusion. Well, if the church is people, then whatever the church people can do, I mean the church can do. Whatever the church can do, the people can do. And it's attractive logic. If the church is simply a plurality of people, theoretically, whatever one of its constituents do, the collective can do. And there is a sense in which whenever any Christian is 
serving the Lord, he is doing, or he or she is doing so as part of the body of Christ, since each part is connected to the whole, like in 1 Corinthians 12 and things of that nature. And yet, in like 1 Timothy chapter 5, we see that that logic doesn't exactly hold. Uh, when Paul concludes his discussion of supporting widows, in verse 16 he says, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are really widows. So there, uh, we see the distinction being made, that in terms of financial support, the church is to be uh, not burdened if there is somebody else in, who is an individual who can take care of that person. And in fact, uh, in verses 9 and 10, there had even been qualifications for the type of widow that a local congregation could support. Uh, and Paul actually will go throughout some length throughout this passage to do whatever can be done to have the widows be supported by somebody else. If a widow is younger than 60, she's supposed to marry, uh, in verse 11 through 15. Uh, if family can support the widow, the family should be doing it, in verse 16. The church is the supporter of last resort. And so it's very important to see that. Likewise, in 1 Corinthians 10, for instance, we see that uh, we are one body as we partake of the one bread. The Lord's Supper is something that we do as a church, that while we are individuals together doing that, we see no basis upon which to suggest that Christians can take of the Lord's Supper independent of the body of Christ, in 1 Corinthians 11. And so there are some things we do as a church that we don't do as individuals, like the Lord's Supper. And here we can see that there are some things that individuals are to do so that the church may not be burdened by it. And that's an important concept there, that the church is not to be burdened. Because so many times in discussions about these matters, uh, people try to appeal to the heartstrings and go for emotions rather than what is revealed in Scripture. And while we need to have compassion on people, it's important... It's interesting here to see that Paul talks about widows, who are to be some people we're supposed to have some of the most compassion on, as burdens, if, uh, and because, in fact, uh, their support is necessary. Somebody needs to do it. That's a way of looking at it. And the tenor of the argument changes when we start talking about that, and many times that tenor of argument change is not appreciated. Nevertheless, uh, we should see that the church has different priorities. Uh... They're supposed to support widows indeed, for instance. And so therefore, anybody who has a family who can support a widow, the family should be doing that. And that demonstrates something else that's important, that there's a prioritization. A church needs to ascertain what the greatest needs happen to be, to fill those, and then to work on other needs. And individuals are not to burden the church. The idea is that individuals are to do their responsibility, take care of what God has given them so that the church doesn't have to pick up that burden. That if the church is picking up burdens, uh, that is not something to celebrate, rather something to mourn. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And so, yes, there's the individual and there's the church. There are some things that the individuals can do that the church can do. There are some things, uh, though, that the individual is supposed to do the church is not supposed to be engaged in. And there are certain things that we do as a church that we're not supposed to do as individuals outside of that. And so, we do well to look and see specifically in Scripture what the things are that the church is to be doing as a collective, as the church itself. A clear example of the work of the church is what we call benevolence to saints, which means the support of Christians uh, derived from a collection from fellow Christians in a congregational environment. So in Acts 11, 28 through 30, uh, that uh, Agabus prophesied there would be this great famine, and disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says that they are to lay by in store 
uh, in in Corinth, just as he had told the church of Galatia to do uh, for the needy saints in Jerusalem. That's explained further in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and in Romans 15. And we see in 1 Timothy 5 the support of widows indeed, and that is financial, physical support. And so collections were made in the churches and relief would be sent. And in Acts chapter 2, in 4 and 5, we see situations in the church in Jerusalem where things were sold, uh, proceeds were brought to the apostles, and the apostles made sure that everybody who had need had their need met. And so we see even in local congregation itself, uh, resources can be used in order to take care of individual needs. We also see another work of the church is that uh, the church is supposed to support evangelism, and particularly uh, the work of evangelists. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1-15, Paul establishes that right and declares in verse 14 that the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And it's not just something individuals can uh, should do, although individuals can do that. In Philippians 4.15, the church in Philippi uh, sent gifts to help Paul on more than one occasion. So the church has the opportunity to not only support evangelists working in its own midst, but can also support evangelists in other communities. Uh, the church supports evangelism because it is the pillar and support of the truth in 1 Timothy 3.15 and must support the proclamation of the truth in the community. And the church is also supposed to work for encouragement. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, all things are been for edification or building up. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that we are to um, not forsake the assembling of each other, but encouraging each other and all the more as the day draws near. And so all things that we do in the assembly are to be done for encouragement. And... Um, it's important for us to do that. The church must also support the truth and hold to it. As we saw in 1 Timothy 3.15 and Revelation 2 and verse 2, the church must uh, be strong in the church. It's not supposed to, in truth, excuse me. Uh, it's not supposed to tolerate anything that's false. And that's what the work of the church is about. It supports benevolence. It's to, the, to, their, to fellow Christians uh, close and far away. It supports the work of evangelism and evangelists doing the work. And it works to build itself up and to encourage each other to stand firm for the truth and resist all error. So why is that, though, the work of the church, especially in light of how so many other people and so many other groups have, have shifted to be other things? And uh, why not other matters? And so let's consider more from Scripture about these things. Why the church is to do the work it's supposed to do is something that we can only understand when we understand the purpose of the church. What is the church called to be? What is the purpose of the church? It's hard to find a better passage to describe the work of the church than Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
We see in 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is a pillar and support of the truth. It's supposed to work to encourage each other in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, that it is a spiritual body uh, of Christ in Colossians 1.18 and many other passages. And so you have this idea of a spiritual body that provides spiritual benefits, but you have to be part of that body. You have to be connected in that body that it's building itself up. And so, yes, benevolence is a more physical level. Of all the things that we've mentioned, it is the most physical. Uh, but it provides refreshment to fellow brethren. As 1 John 3, 16-18 suggests, uh, here, this is love that we may live, lay down our lives for our friends, but how can we have the world's goods and see our brother in need and, and not help him and declare that we love him? Uh, that community is important uh, to maintain. Uh, let's look at Matthew 25, 31-46, and that judgment scene, uh, how people are judged are based on how they treat uh, the fellow people of God, which is something important to note as well. And that helps strengthen bonds among members. Evangelism and evangelists work to make the church grow and to strengthen the kingdom. And encouraging the body and making it stronger. And so in all these ways, the church is much more inward-looking than you might have imagined. Uh, the work of the church is to build itself up in love, to perpetuate itself. And the work looks outside to bring in, and is not to look outside just for the sake of looking outside. Uh, the, the time, after all, is too short. The resources are always too thin to do both. And so, when we look at what is revealed in Scripture about the church building itself up in love, making sure the truth is being affirmed, that we are growing up into Christ, that those who have positions use those positions to equip the saints for the work of ministry, we definitely get the idea that the church itself is working to build itself up and sending out its individual people to do the work in the community and in the world. Uh, but the church itself is about its own aggrandizement, its own uh, building up to the glory of God, because it's the body of Christ, and the idea that the body of Christ should be getting bigger, and it only get bigger when it focuses on strengthening itself. But when we look at the religious world, we see so many groups that seem to spend more time working outside than to build itself up. And what happens when that goes on? Well, the 20th century in particular has put, seen a lot of denominations who put a lot of emphasis on helping those outside of their churches. After all, how many hospitals, uh, centers of education, food resources are, have been created or sent uh, by uh, such religious organizations? And there's no doubt that such things have helped people physically. Uh, no doubt at all. But is this what the church is supposed to be up to? I'd like to suggest that the overburdening of the church has led to distinct problems. And the first one is a lack of focus on members. Because when a church is focused on helping those outside, the work on the inside uh, therefore suffers. And after all, what do we see in those churches that most uh, firmly grasped and embraced the social gospel, those mainline Protestant churches? They're shrinking. Uh, many are closing. Uh, their, their very denomination's life is threatened. Uh, they may no longer exist in a few generations. They've lost their spiritual focus and their attempt to make the world a better place. And their attempts to physically better some people, while laudable, have led them to miss the real priorities that God would have them to have. It also, though, uh, causes a perversion of the gospel message, because not only is it difficult to work on both inside and outside at the same time, uh, the actions will often lead to distraction when trying to convert people. Because if you go to try to present the true spiritual gospel of Christ in many places in the world, people want to see uh, the kind of things they've seen from everybody else. They want to know where your hospital is, where you're going to build your food pantry, this and that, because that's what they're really looking for. 
uh, Christianity to such people is not about a spiritual relationship with other people and God. It's instead about getting things from Americans and others. And that makes it really hard to get people to think about spiritual matters. And for these uh, reasons, uh, uh, we see that this is not the way forward. In fact, we can see this in the scriptures. In John 6, in John 6, 26, 27, the John, Jesus, having fed the 5,000, they came back, 7,000, excuse me, uh, they came back and he said, you, you've come back for the food. You've not come back for uh, the bread that, that does not perish. And so it's very easy to convert the stomach, but very hard, much harder to convert the soul, especially if we're trying to convert the soul through the stomach. And that is why we need to make sure that the work of the church is the spiritual work it's supposed to be, because otherwise this important message gets lost. After all, it's a very noble desire that we want to help people out of poverty. I don't think anybody wants to see a bunch of people sitting in squalor, but let's say we do that. Let's say that we're able, through all of our combined efforts, to somehow eliminate poverty to give everybody on earth a middle-class lifestyle. What's the end game? Does that really solve all of mankind's problems? People may all be in a better position, but they still have the same existential crises. They're still in danger of hellfire. Not a soul would necessarily be converted in that circumstance, and that is a great tragedy. After all, Jesus himself, who had the ability to do all kinds of things, did not come to end poverty. Uh, he said the poor will always be with us, Matthew 26, 11. That's not an excuse to make sure there's always poor people, but a recognition there's always going to be some who are disadvantaged. That's just the way it is in this life. And Jesus came to save souls from sin. And the sufferings of sin exist no matter if you're wealthy or if you're poor. And so we cannot let these physical things distract us from the necessary spiritual considerations. It doesn't profit uh, if we save people from hunger but not from sin. And that is why the church needs to be true to its spiritual inward focus. So yes, the work of the church is very important. The church is made up of individuals, absolutely. But there's distinctions between what the individual can do and what the church as a collective is to do. We have seen that the church has been uh, burdened with the benevolence to saints, the support of evangelists, the support of evangelism, encouragement, and purity. And these burdens are consistent with the purpose of the church, which is to be a spiritual body that uplifts souls. We can see from the scriptures and the examples of denominations around us that when we burden the church beyond what God intends, uh, the church church uh, suffers. Its work does not get accomplished. And that is why we need to have the church be the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so they can go out and do the things God would have them to do to help those outside. But the church is working to build itself up in love, uh, to uphold the truth, to proclaim the truth, and to strengthen each other in it. And we pray that that is what uh, we're about. And we're again so glad that you've joined us. And if if you'd like to be about that, if you've got some questions about some of the things we've talked about, maybe it, you, you think this has been a great lesson and think others need to hear it, we encourage you to please share it on social media. Uh, please contact us if we can be of any uh, ben a benefit. Uh, if you'd like to get to meet with us or prayer requests or some such thing, uh, we're online at VenetChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on social media. If you'd like to get a hold of me personally, you can reach me at my website, DeVerboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.